are, um, there are some places in this world that we can't avoid, places that at some point we eventually have to go to. I'm not talking about Disney World. For most people, that's a want-to kind of place, right? But there are some places that we need to go just because we, we have to, because of life. Maybe school is one of those things. Oh, I have to go to school. Or, or work. Oh, it's Monday morning. I have to go to There There's some places that we want to go and there are some places that we have to go. So uh, not many rave reviews. I don't think I heard anybody say, I love it when we put up the dentist or the Bureau of Motor Vehicle. I mean, if somebody says, I love it when they're talking about going to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. Maybe they also need to make an appointment to see someone else. I don't know. Um, this picture here, so there's the next one. Um, and, and you guys had some, uh, some reaction to it. Uh, is this a place, though, that we feel we have to go? Or is it a want-to kind of place? And maybe that depends on the, the day and whether it's drippy and rainy outside or or not. They, they say, uh, in, in the, the pastor circles, they say that uh, the weather really doesn't matter about a church attendance because uh, if it's really sunny and bright, then I can go do something else, right, during church. And if it's drippy and rainy, oh, I'm going to stay in and curl up. And so, uh, you know, we can always come up with some kind of excuse. Uh, th- there was a question on Family Feud one time, um, and, and they, they asked this question, where do people dread to go? So Steve Harvey, I believe, was the host at this time. And, and, you know, he says top four answers on the board. Here's the question. You got the guys they are getting ready to, to, to buzz in, all that. And uh, so they go through the whole thing. And at the end of the round, this is what the, uh, the board looks like. Dentist, doctor, funeral, cemetery, work, church. According to that... People dread going to church more than the Bureau of Motor Vehicles because it didn't make the list, right? It's not even up there. Uh, I, I wonder, I, I don't know, is that what God intended when he created the church, that it would be a place that we dread to go? As, as we continue looking at the essentials of our faith, we can't leave out the church. It's mentioned there in the Apostles' Creed. We've talked about, uh, about it before. And if, if you've missed it, let me just uh, highlight again. When we say the Holy Catholic Church, we're not talking about uh, uh, the, the Catholic Church up the, up the road. Uh, we're talking about Catholic, meaning universal church, like church, big C, uh, corporate, gathered, together church. The, 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 it's just a, an old-timey word to, to say that. So we, we can't leave out the church as part of the essentials, despite what they say on Family Feud or when the alarm goes off on a drippy Sunday morning. The church is essential to your life of faith. Now, I, I know that churches aren't perfect. They, they have their flaws. You might have stories. This church certainly isn't perfect all the time. Uh, an evangelist once said, the only way to have a perfect church is to throw out all of the current members and don't take any new ones in. This is the, this is the only way to have a perfect church. There are no perfect churches, but, but God created the church and it, it is vital to a healthy, growing, uh, follower of Jesus. It's, it's essential. In fact, not only is the church essential to you, but I would argue that you are essential to the church. The Greek word, uh, uh for church is ekklesia. And it means a called out assembly or congregation. The word doesn't say anything about a building or an auditorium or even a steeple. Uh, ecclesia refers to the people. 
Paul referred to it this way in, in uh, Romans. So uh, if, if you've read the book of Romans the last uh, little bit, uh, he's thanking all these people. And he's naming people, hey, make sure you talk to this guy and, and make sure you, you say hey to her and, and uh, thank these people. And, and, and uh, so in, in chapter 16, uh, he's, he's, he wants them to greet his friends, Aquila and Priscilla. And then he says, uh, greet also the church that meets in their house. Romans 16, 5. So, so the, the house wasn't the church. The building wasn't the church. The address wasn't the church. The people that met there, they were the church. Uh, the, the, the people are the church. Despite what might be common in how we refer to uh, things today, the church is not a building with an address. The church is the people. Specifically, people who are followers of Jesus. And Jesus is the head of the church. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, God placed all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's a, it's a great analogy, a great word picture there. Uh, Jesus is the head of the church. We are the body. We are the arms and legs and hands and feet of Jesus in the world, representing him, doing his work as he guides and directs and leads the way. He's the, he's the head. We're following his lead in the world. As, uh, as one person wrote years and years ago, the holiest moment of the church service is the moment when God's people, strengthened by preaching and sacrament, go out of the church door into the world to be the church. We didn't go to church. We are the church. So today I want us to catch a glimpse of what it means to be the church. I, I mean, here in, in 21st century America, there are so many different flavors of church. Uh, there are churches that are formal and churches that are laid back, churches that sing hymns, uh, that sing choruses, that sing neither, that sing both. Some churches don't use any instruments. Others have a full orchestra. Most are somewhere in between. Some churches have ornate cathedrals and others meet in schools or even a movie theater. Some churches have choirs and drama teams and musicals and maybe even interpretive dancing. Others serve in soup kitchens on street corners or remote corners of the globe. Some churches emphasize certain gifts of the Holy Spirit, while others don't talk much about the Holy Spirit at all. Some churches are use readings and recitations and liturgy, while others are more spontaneous. There are brick churches and stone churches and churches with white siding. There are churches that, that meet on Sundays or on Wednesdays or on Saturdays or none of the above or all of the above. Some have activities every day of the week. Some have daycares or schools. Others run retirement homes. Some have Sunday school. Some have small groups. Some have both. Some have neither. Some churches have multiple campuses and video venues. Some churches have preachers who wear jeans. Some wear three-piece suits. Others wear robes and collars. And that's just here in the United States. The church looks different uh, even around the world and has changed so much over the last 2,000 years since its inception. There are so many types and styles and ways of doing church. And I'm sure that will never change. It's always morphing and changing and, and looking at the latest way and the most effective ways of, of doing the work of the church. We'll always be looking for ways to do church differently. So we're not going to talk today about doing church. What does it mean to be the church? Those, those are the things that don't change. The way we do those things may change 
a thousand times. I, I told Rebecca, we, we, you know, we're coming up on 21 years and, and well, I've said, said it more than once that, uh, yeah, we didn't like leave and go to another church three or four times, but it kind of feels like we've had three or four different churches as different people come and go, right? And, uh, and, and so ch- things change and ministries change. We used to do this and now we do this and we used to, and all, uh, the ways that we do things are always going to change. But what does it mean to be the church? And, and there's a, uh, a bunch of different places we could go in scripture to, um, to uh, uh, get get a feel for this, I, I love the passage in Roman or in Ephesians chapter four, where uh, where Paul tells us a little bit about what it means to be the church. Ephesians four eleven through sixteen, we're going to use as our primary text today. It says, "So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip His people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up." until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There's, there's, there's a lot there. Become mature, uh, be no longer infants, grow up into him. The whole body grows and builds itself up. Being the church seems to have a lot to do with maturity and growth. Uh, We grow and we help others grow in our relationship with God. If we're not maturing, uh, Paul says that we're kind of like infants. And in order to to understand what he means, he then uses a couple of metaphors there from nature. He talks about uh, tossing back and forth on the waves. And he talks about blowing through the air like a windswept leaf. We see a lot of those this time of year. When I was a, uh, when I was a preteen, probably 10-ish, I, uh, I went to church camp for a week at Camp Patmos. Some of you might know where that is. It's on Kelly's Island, um, and it's still there. I looked it up, just curious this week, Googled it, and there, there it is, and there's still, still a camp, and they're still doing camp uh, on Kelly's Island. Since it's on the island up there, uh, we, we had to take a, a, a ferry to camp. So we, I grew up in Columbus. We drove up to, uh, uh, to wherever the ferry is, uh, wherever it was then. Uh, that was a couple of years ago. And, um, uh, it's, it, it was, you know, that's, that maybe, I mean, I remember that probably more than most of what happened at camp that week. So, so this trip across was, was, was pretty cool for a 10 year old kid. Um, the, it was, it was, Picturesque, the sun is shining, the birds are singing, the, uh, um, do we call them seagulls if they're over Lake Erie? What do we call them if they're in the Kmart parking lot? That's the question. Are they, are they K-gulls over there? I don't, is it really, it's not the Kmart parking lot anymore, is it? It's just the empty, empty parking lot. But anyway, those of you online and don't live in Medina, you know, you can Google, Google in and, and maybe zoom in on all the birds that hang out at the, uh, the parking lot up, uh, up, up, uh, in town. But, uh, anyway, I, I, the, so the birds are, the sun is shining. It's a 
crystal clear uh, on the lake. We're going across. Everybody's out at the at the railing and there's a few benches out there and everybody's enjoying it so much that I didn't really get much of a chance to to see anything because everybody's out on the railing and, and sitting on the, on the benches and, and enjoying the sun. And it was a great, great time. But I thought in my head, you know what? We're going to have to come back. And when we come back, I'm going to be toward the front of the line because I'm going to get a spot along that railing so I can enjoy this even more on the way home. So after a great week of camp, uh, I was toward the front of the line because I had this, this in mind all week long. When we go back, I'm going to get a good spot out on the, on the, ra- by the railing and, uh, enjoy this trip on the way back. And, and so I, I, uh, uh, did that, got on, uh, one of the first people on, uh, but I hadn't really paid attention to the weather. And, uh, it was drippy and it was a lot like today, only maybe a little windier. And, uh, it turns out, Nobody was fighting me for a spot on the deck along the railing that day. That trip back from Kelly's Island was uh, was quite memorable. I am you know years old right now, and I was ten then. Uh, many many years ago, still remember it. We 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 headed out into the wind. I remember, and that boat's going up, and then kind of you know how that goes on the on the, uh, the and I'm whoa this is this is uh, a fun little ride, and uh, it definitely. A little choppier, a little bit, whatever. And then we, we turned. And so now the wind is blowing sideways and the, uh, uh, the boat starts rocking. Instead of going into the wind, now we're going side to side. And I still remember in my 10-year-old mind's eye, the boat pitching down toward the surface and the water coming dangerously close to coming over the side. And, and then it got to the other side. I mean, I abandoned my spot along the railing pretty quickly. And I went inside the cabin and I held on tight and I learned uh, pretty quickly not to go near the trash cans, which were being used for motion sickness stations that many people were dealing with. I don't remember going to the altar during camp that week, but I prayed a lot on the way home on the, on the ferry ride. All I'm saying is that I know what it's like to be tossed back and forth by the waves. It's not a fun way to live. It's, it's turbulent, it causes anxiety, and it even causes an upset stomach at times, right? It's definitely not a place of peace and stability. And Paul says that that's how life is in this world without the church. We're tossed back and forth by all sorts of things that seek to disrupt our confidence. One big uh, reason that the church exists is to provide an anchor where we can mature in our spiritual lives and and not to be blown around by the craziness of the world around us. The, the, The church provides stability and peace. In the, in the second chapter of Acts, there's a great little verse that describes uh, what that, that anchor looked like for the early Christian church. Uh, the, the people of that early church anchored themselves to four things that they kept them unified and growing in their spiritual lives uh, and in their influence in the, in the culture where they lived. Acts 2.42, just a simple little verse, but it, it uh, uh, says a lot about what the church, this anchor for our souls, uh, should, uh, should look like. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, notice right off the bat, before we get to the four things, uh, this wasn't just they showed up and attended uh, the apostles' teaching and the potluck 
and communion every once in a while and when the pastor prayed. This was, that's, that's not what it says. They devoted themselves to these things. They were devoted to God and to the church. That, that, that word means to be diligent or, or earnest or, or faithfully committed. The first step to not being tossed back and forth by the wind and the waves in this crazy world is to be devoted to God and his church. We, we could divide, define devotion a lot of, of ways. In the church, we've, we've uh, tended to, to define it as, um, well, we like to measure things and we like to count things, right? And so, so we count attendance and we count offering. Uh, what what uh, has been called nickels and noses in, uh, in church circles. Uh, we look at, uh, at, at how much money we've brought in and, uh, and how many were in attendance. Or who has, is, is giving and who is, is, is there. And if they are, then we'd consider them to be, uh, be active and, and part of the church, devoted, involved, if, if you're, if you're attending services and events and if you're, if you're giving. And, and I suppose those are, those are some, a couple of valid ways to get a feel for devotion to God and to the church. But, but there's a lot more to it than that because it is, believe it or not, it's possible to attend and to give and still live like the devil. I, I mean, it's, it's still, it's, it's possible. The early church members were devoted. To, to several things. They, they, they were, whether they, they were counting nickels and noses or not, I don't know. They do, do, they do count. There's several different places where they know how many were there. Uh, but, uh, but it, it involves so much more. Four things. The first one is that they were devoted to the truth. It says the apostles teaching. Uh, this is about following Jesus commands. The, the, the truth as taught by Jesus. That's what the apostles were teaching. Uh, Jesus commissioned them to do just that. Matthew 28, 20. Uh, it, it says that, that they need to be teaching them, the, the people that you come in contact, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so that's what the disciples were doing. They'd been living with Jesus for three and a half years. They'd heard his sermons. They'd watched his life. And now that he had gone back to heaven, the spirit was in enabling them to teach these new believers what they had seen and what they had heard. And as they taught, the people were devoted to listening and to learning and to putting those truths into practice in their lives. A huge part of the anchor that the church provides for us is to instruct us in the truth. The, the Ephesian passage there uh, uh, warns us of, of winds of teaching that are cunning and crafty and, and blow us away from the truth. We need the church as, as a standard of holiness and righteousness guiding us in the truth of how God would have us to live. That's why we uh, in our church center our gatherings around preaching and teaching from God's word. We're not just making this stuff up. I'm not just uh, uh, looking up what I can, uh, what cool stories I can tell. Although maybe I do tell a few cool stories every once in a while. But but uh, it's all centered on and 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 founded in the truth of God's word. I also want to say that it's not just the pastor's job to be instructing the truth of of God's word. We all have a responsibility to use our gifts to, as the passage there says in Ephesians 4, to edify or to build up the body of Christ, the church. 
We all have different gifts and graces. Uh, some are listed there in Ephesians 4. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Uh, other places in the Bible give other lists and different, uh, different things that, that we're gifted with. I'm not sure any of those lists are, are even all in, inclusive of every gift that the Holy Spirit empowers us with. But uh, the primary reason for us to use those gifts is to build up or to edify uh, the, the, the people around us. To, 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 uh, to encourage and edify and instruct and help uh, the, 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 the church to be the church, to grow over and over again, to mature, to grow, to become more like Jesus. We, we uh, use those gifts to, to bring people in, to build up the church, and then to instruct and help. And, and we do that in, in, each, of, in each way as, uh, as God has gifted us. The truths that we learn and teach together provide an anchor for our souls when the winds are howling and the waves are crashing. So we've got to be devoted to the truths of Jesus. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They are also devoted to fellowship. Whenever I hear the word fellowship, I almost always, it's almost always in a church context, and I think it almost always involves food. Uh, you hear the word fellowship, there's probably going to be, I mean, there's some churches have a room built primarily for potluck dinners, and they call it the fellowship hall. Maybe you've been in a fellowship hall before for a, a dinner or a reception or a, uh, a, some other event of the church. The, when this says that, the, that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, they, they were not devoted to sitting in metal folding chairs and eating a hot dish. That is not what, what, uh, what, what uh, Acts is talking about here. The word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, and it's all about sharing an experience with others. Um, accomplishing something with someone. So together, we are together and we're accomplishing something together. Koinonia. I, I, I guess that, maybe that could include a potluck dinner. We're together and we're, I mean, we're killing this, uh, this, this potato salad for sure, right? Not, not just that. Koinonia is all about sharing life with others, being deep-spirited friends, building lasting relationships as you work toward a common goal. What's the common goal? Building up, edifying the body of Christ so that we all become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The relationships that we have in the church anchor us in this world. Christianity is relational. Our, our whole existence in church is, is based on our relationship with Jesus, right? And then as we work together, we, we help each other along the way, follow him more and to mature in our walk with him. We provide companionship and accountability and compassion and love. Ephesians 4.13 says that our goal is unity in the faith. It doesn't mean we all have the exact same opinions on everything, but we're unified in that uh, that the Holy Spirit is the one, uh, that the, the God is the center, that Jesus is the goal, that, that he is the head, and we're unified around it. A unified church is the anchor for us and helps us mature in our walk with Jesus. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Which again sounds a lot like a potluck. We got uh, we got some food going on, but this this isn't about that. This is about communion, right? The the Lord's Supper, uh, the Eucharist, maybe it's called uh, in in uh, your tradition. It's a sacrament of the church. 
Sacrament. Well, there's a good church word. We probably should unpack that a little bit. Sacraments are rituals or practices that we see Jesus do in Scripture and he instructs us to do them as well. Different churches include different sacraments on their lists, right? But the two that have, have been practiced for hundreds of years in Protestant churches like ours have been baptism and the Lord's Supper or communion. Baptism is a one-time public declaration of faith as a person is uh, uh, um, lowered. Well, there, there are several different ways to experience baptism. The, the most common would be immersion, where a person is lowered under the water, signifying their death to, to their old way of life. And then they're raised out of the water to new life in Christ there is that uh, cleansing or purity aspect to that that uh, action of, of uh, involving water. And it's uh, many times in the book of Acts, we see new believers being baptized. It's a, it's a one-time declaration of faith. Then there's the sacrament uh, that, that, that the church practices, not just one time, but over and over and over again, and that's communion. At the Last Supper with his disciples, Jesus broke bread representing his body and he drank wine representing his blood. And he instructed that his followers continue to eat and drink in this way when they met together. And so the church has been breaking bread together ever since. When we participate in communion, there's a lot going on. It's not just a snack. We're remembering Jesus' sacrifice. We're also proclaiming the good news of the gospel. We're telling the story again as we, as we contemplate the, uh, the, the, the bread and the cup, the body and the blood of Jesus and, and his sacrifice for us. We're, we're also thanking him. That's what Eucharist means. Thanksgiving. Uh, it, it involves a, a thankfulness to, uh, to God for, for who he is and, and what he has done for us in Jesus. And in, in participating in communion, we're not just receiving a bite and a sip. We're receiving the grace of God as we participate in this sacrament with pure hearts. John Wesley believed that communion was, quote, the grand channel whereby the grace of his spirit is conveyed to the souls of all the children of God. It's one reason why Wesley received communion at least once a week for most of his life, many times, multiple times a week. I grew up in a tradition that, that served communion every Sunday. It was part of the service, and, and it took forever as they uh, uh, played the organ slow and turned down the lights and walked through. And, and you know, I could, I could uh, push back on that and say, why in the world would you uh, take up all this precious time during the service to, to do all this? And, and, uh, and, and, and yet, if it's the grand channel whereby the grace of God's Spirit is conveyed to the souls of the children of God, maybe it's kind of important. Our denomination says we should, every church around the globe should participate in communion at least quarterly, four times a year. Doesn't sound like near enough to me. So every week, maybe it's going to become rote and habit and I'm not going to really uh, think about it. Uh, four times a year, maybe that's not enough. We do it once a month, usually the first Sunday of the month here. Again, that's a, that's a how, not a, not a, this is, this is who we are, but this is how we do this. Uh, but, and, but the, 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 the thing is that we want it to be a regular practice where we're encountering this, this message physically, the, the, the message of God's grace and sacrifice and forgiveness. It is, it is mind-blowing to me to think that when we gather next Sunday around the table, when we come up and take the elements and we, we receive those things together, we're going to be walking through a practice 
that not just our church does or not just the church of the Nazarene does or not just churches in this century have done. Literally, we are walking through a practice that members of the church, that the body of Christ have been participating in for almost 2,000 years. Christians around the globe we will be doing what they have been doing. And, and not just looking back, but also looking to the future. We will, uh, the, the church will continue. As long as Jesus tarries, the church will continue to practice this until uh, we all gather together around the, the, the table in heaven at the, what, what uh, scripture calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. And together we're all united as, as we gather around that table and, and proclaim what Jesus has done and celebrate with him in heaven receiving the lord's supper is an anchoring practice right it provides grace and stability when everything around us is is changing the good news of the gospel of jesus death and resurrection holds us firm breaking bread together is a is an essential practice of the church they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. Now, for those of you that were around last week, you're thinking, he's going to talk about prayer again? We just had a whole sermon about prayer. No, I'm not going to talk about prayer again. We covered a lot of that last week. Not that we could ever cover everything about prayer. But I, I do want to simply encourage you today not just to pray, but be devoted to prayer. It's not just that I attend where a prayer is being said. I'm devoted to prayer. I'm, when I'm not here, I'm still devoted to prayer. It's, it's my relationship with God and I'm staying connected with him. We talked last week about all the, all the different ways that we can do that and, and uh, what that might look like. I just encourage you uh, to pray for your church. To pray for, for your denomination, the Church of the Nazarene. To, to, to pray for other churches in our, in our community. To, to, to pray for God's work and God's will in this world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Pray for each other. We are the body of Christ together and we're carrying each other's burdens and we're lifting each other up. Pray for your pastor. I hear he might need it. Prayer anchors us together with Jesus as we are his body. In this world, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You need the church. It is essential to your spiritual life. Without it, you'll be tossed back and forth by all sorts of craziness and sin in this life. But it, the, the, the truth doesn't stop there. You, uh, the church also needs you. When you're not devoted, to life in the body of Christ. The body of Christ suffers for it. When you're not involved, we miss you. We don't just miss you. We miss how God wants to use you in our lives. It, this is the two-sided nature of the church. It, it's a place where we grow and where we are helping others grow. It, it's where we receive life and we're, we're giving life where we're encouraging even as we're being encouraged, where we're healing even as we're being healed. I love the comment that I heard many, many years ago. It says something about when you leave a church service on any given Sunday and you hit out the doors, you shouldn't be asking yourself, did I get anything out of that today? 
I, I'm, I'm just assuming that's how you talk. I'm sorry. That wasn't, wasn't very nice. Sorry. Did I, did I get anything out of that today? We, we ask that sometimes. Well, is that worth my time, basically, is what we're saying? Instead of asking, did I get something out of it, we should be asking, how did I do? <laughs> how did I do? Did I participate as a member of the body of Christ? Did I edify and build up? Did I worship? Did I pray? Was I, was I devoted to God's body today? I hope... I hope you're catching this morning that church is not merely something that you attend, it's who you are. 